0: And have a seat. If you're a note taker, here's kind of a main idea. Here's a place where we're going to begin. So the Bible says repeatedly that every person who ever lived or ever lives will eventually bow their knee before the one true God, Jesus Christ. Now, if we believe that to be true, what will we place our confidence in when we meet him? So the Bible repeatedly, Old Testament and New Testament, says, We will bow before Jesus. One day, every human being who has ever drawn breath will proclaim Jesus as Lord. Now, if we're, if we're here in the church today, now, most of us would call ourselves followers of Jesus or Christians. Some of you here are still checking this out. I know that, and we're so glad that you're here. Amen. And so as we look at this, what we're saying is if we believe the Bible to be true, then the Bible says we will all bow before Jesus, that we will all stand in the presence of Jesus, the one true God. When we do that, with what confidence will we stand? With what will we stand before the creator of everything? How will we know how we will feel on that day? Are you ready to meet Jesus and just say, you know what? I've been a good person. Are you ready to meet Jesus and go, you know what? Wasn't as bad as this guy. Probably not as good as this one. Or is there another confidence that we can place our hope in that Jesus has covered our sin, that we stand before him knowing he gave his life for us, and we lived our lives in response to that? Isaiah 17, we're going to start in verse 1, it says this, an oracle concerning Damascus. Behold, Damascus will cease to be a city and will become a heap of ruins. So if you have been here and you've been in Isaiah, this sounds like a familiar beginning to another chapter, Right? And so the first 12 chapters is God saying to God's people, you have, you've stopped following me. You have abandoned what I've called you to. Though you call yourselves my people, you don't live that way. You've begun to look like the other nations. You've begun to look like the other people. Though you say you're followers of me, you don't look the way I've called you to look. And so he proclaims judgment on his own people. And he says, listen, the nations around you are going to come in, and they're going to devour you. And I'm going to leave a remnant. And from that remnant, I'm going to raise up for me a people again. And so for 12 chapters and many years, God calls this to them, calling them to repentance. Starting in chapter 13, what we see is judgments of the surrounding nations, the nations that have have been oppressors of God's people even though God will use them sovereignly like Babylon and Assyria to come in and wipe out his people and judge his people on his behalf, even so he will punish them for judging his people. He will judge the righteous and the wicked alike. He will judge those who are, who are supposed to be followers of his just like he will judge those who don't even pretend to be followers of his. And so all will come before Jesus one day and call him Lord. And our question is, how will we do that? And what place will we be in when we do that? And so as we begin Isaiah 17 and 18, here's what's taking place. God is now saying, listen, I'm going to judge those who are called to be my people and those who are not. And those, but those who are called to be my people and are being disobedient. I'm going to judge them too. And those who have wandered away or whose generations have never followed me, I will judge them for not following me. I've been patient long enough, says God, and there will be a day when everyone comes before me. So this is both pagan and Jewish nations. Verse 2, the cities of Aror Ar- are deserted, and as they will be for flocks which lie down. None of them, and none will make them afraid. The fortress will disappear from Ephraim. And the kingdom from Damascus. And the remnant of Syria should be like the glory of the children of Israel, declares the Lord of hosts. So one judgment for all people. It will be like them for them. Syria and Damascus, just like Ephraim and Israel. So no matter what, no matter where you come from, no matter where you've been, no matter what era you live in, no matter if your skin is black or white or somewhere in between, no matter if you were born here or born on the other side of the planet, all of us will come before God eventually. Damascus and Ephraim is a a reminder that both those who profess God and those who do not will stand before God. So Jesus says it this way. Therefore I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people producing its fruits. So here's Jesus looking to the Jewish nation. This is almost a 1,000 years later. He's saying, listen, you're still disobedient. You still proclaim to be followers of God, but you're still a disobedient people. And in time, if you don't change, I'm going to remove my blessing from you and I'm gonna give it to someone else. And really that's what we've seen in the church. It's, it's no longer Israel. It's now the church global, right? It's anyone who will proclaim the name of Jesus, whether you're in Israel or Judah or Palestine or Russia or America or anywhere. And the fulfillment of Jesus saying, listen, I will, take, I will take this from you, and I will give it to others who will follow me. So let's just pause there just for a second. Let's just ask this question. So in America, we like to call ourselves a Christian nation. Probably not a true statement. Definitely have some Christian roots. We definitely have some Judeo-Christian principles. But we're not a nation that worships Jesus. Fair. But we are a blessed nation, one nation under God. God has showered out blessing on this nation. Fair? What if God says, I've been calling you back for long enough and I'm gonna go over here? Would God be right to do so? Would it be fair? So I'm not saying this about the people outside this room. I'm not saying they gotta change. Who has to change? We gotta change. We are the people of God. We are the ones that God is speaking to in every age. We are the ones that should hear this. And so if you're a note taker, again, history is in the past, right? No matter what nation we see, the worship practices of the past are gone. Faith's not measured by heritage. I don't get to stand on the shoulders of generations before me who worship Jesus. I have to stand before Jesus and answer the question, did I worship you? Faith is not measured by heritage, but rather by our heart and commitment today. Let me say this. Your faith is not measured by you 20 years ago either. Your faith is measured by your faith today. Now listen, don't hear anything other than that we're accountable for today. I'm not making grand sweeping statements about your faith. I'm just saying this that wherever you are today, you're accountable for that. And if today were your last, would you be comfortable? This is, this is how I finished the race. Verse 4 says, and in that day, the glory of Jacob will be brought low, and the fat of his flesh will grow lean. So here's what's going to happen. There are Roughly eight images in the, in the rest of this chapter and the next, talking about judge, judgment, images that the prophet Isaiah, and if you're unfamiliar with this, if you're just joining us, a prophet is someone who speaks on behalf of God with God's authority, he speaks God's message, oftentimes to God's people. He speaks it with God's authority, and that's who Isaiah is. So about 2,800 years ago, a man named Isaiah is calling a very unrepentant God's people back to faith. He's also proclaiming judgment for the nations that are oppressing them at the time. He's calling out pretty, some pretty global judgments against sin and evil ultimately. But at this moment, what we need to hear is the message to us that we are accountable for our faith. So verse 4 so we're going to see five images of judgment. It says this, and the fat of his flesh will grow lean. So this is an image of judgment saying this. Many of you rely on your physical health, on your physical strength, on your the body God has given you. So I put it, I want to write it down this way. So here's here's how we can see this. Turn the next slide. Most human beings will believe two things. One, we will be alive tomorrow, and two, we will not live forever. You with me? Yeah. We don't believe we're going to live forever. But we just don't think it's going to stop tomorrow. Because of that, we trust in our health enough to believe we can connect with God when we are ready, eliminating the pressure of repentance today. Is that true? No. Does no. that ring true? No? I made it. I'm made i the only one? All right. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> Listen, man. I see the Cowboys hat. I'm a Cowboys fan. I have to repent every season. Yeah. All right? Let's be honest. I need help every year, all right? If nothing else, for just that. We believe we'll be here tomorrow, so we're not pressed to stop the sin we know we have today. But we know we won't live forever, and those two things are opposites, right? But we trust in ourselves. We think we'll make it through today. I know I will die sometime. 50, I'm getting closer, right? Don't laugh. You can be 50 in a week, right? All right. So, and we share a name. It's a good dude right there. I'm just saying, all right? We believe we'll live through tomorrow, so there's still time. Still time for me to clean up this little mess I'm hiding from everyone over here. But what if there isn't? Verse 5, and it shall be... When the reaper gathers standing grain, the arm harvests with the ears, and when one gleans the ears of grain in the valley of Rephaim, gleanings will be left in it. And when an olive tree is beaten, two or three berries at the top of the highest bow, four or five of the branches on the fruit tree, declares the Lord God of Israel. The second image is a completed harvest. Now, put this in context. There is judgment coming. Now, here's some images of Judgment. One day your health will fail. It may be today, it may be tomorrow, it may not be for decades to come. And that's not based on how old you are. That's not even based on your current health, like we just don't get to choose that. The second image is a completed harvest. Imagine God is saying, listen, I am still harvesting people for eternity, but there will be a day when my harvest is complete. So human provision, Our own ability to care for our needs causes us to not trust in God for every breath we take or every meal we eat. Trusting in our own physical provision, our our own ability to get food and to get health, whether it be go to the gym or go to the doctor, our own trust in our own provision causes us to not rely on God for our immediate spiritual provision. In America, we have a few problems that are going to come out today, and I'll say this. One of them is that we believe that we have the ability to get what we need and get through this week, this month. Even the brokest among us, we're not hungry like a lot of places in the world. So we believe we, in our power, can get through it. And God says there will come a day when I will beat the last bush and harvest the last thing. Verse seven, in that day man will look to his maker And his eyes will look on the Holy One of Israel, speaking of Jesus, to come. In that day, there will be a day. Now, we're not a church who talks a lot about the end. There are streams of churches that talk about end times as if they are imminent all the time. And they talk about them in different ways and there's different schools of thought, that's fine. Here's the great thing about end times theology. It hasn't happened yet, so we don't know. Fair? Maybe there's a rapture, maybe there's not. Maybe it's going to get better, maybe it's going to get worse. Maybe there's this intense season, maybe we're going to be in it, maybe we're not. So what? We don't know. Here's what we do know. There's going to be a day when it's all over. There will come a day, and it says, and everyone will look to their maker. See, there will come a day where we will stand before Jesus, and we will have to account for what we did with the message we've heard. Now, I know there's lot of you thinking, well, what about those unknown, unreached pygmy tribes in Papua New Guinea? Great, I don't know, but you're sitting here, you've heard the message, right? <laughs> Again, this isn't for those out there, this is for us. He's going to say, I know you never go to church except Christmas and Easter. But at least you heard the message, right? You're sitting here today, whether somebody dragged you here or not. See, God so loved the world that he gave us Jesus. See, God created you, loves you, designed you, knows how you were to be. And and the way you were created is to be a worshiper of God. And that doesn't mean just when we stand and sing. This means that our lives are to be worshipers of God. But all of us, all of us, in all of history, all of us have failed that. God says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. For all have sinned and are not Perfect worshipers of God. And so when that sin, like like when unfaithfulness comes in a marriage and separates and harms and divides, sin separated us from God. And God could have rightly left us to ourselves. But God in his mercy and his grace said, listen, you will never be able to work back to me, so I will come down to you. So God condescended to humanity In Jesus Christ, God became flesh. And he lived the life you and I are called to live but have failed. And then he died the death you and I deserve, and he didn't, but he died it in our place. And then he laid in a grave to pay for our sin and then rose from the grave to give us new life. And all of us now, all of us that hear that message are accountable for that message. We're accountable to look at Jesus and say, what did I do with the suffering and pain you endured for me? What did I do with the resurrection where you rose from the dead to give me a different life? That I'm not, I am not determined to be my worst decisions. I'm not bound by my greatest mistakes. In fact, I am defined by Jesus' greatest successes. That I get the Spirit of God in me to live differently. Now I become accountable for that. Not as a pastor, but as a follower of Jesus. And so it says this. In that day, man will look to his maker, and his eyes will look on the Holy One of Israel. Let me give you three more verses, one more from Isaiah later in the book. It says this, turn to me and be saved, all the ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. By myself I have sworn, from my mouth has gone out in righteousness a word that shall not return. To me every knee shall bow, and every tongue will swear allegiance. One day we will stand before God. Next slide. Romans says this, Paul writes, For it's written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. One more. Paul also writes to the Philippians, So that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and earth and under earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. So you're here today. We are here today. We're accountable to Jesus for this. We can walk away and and, and remain unchanged. We can walk away. See, you know what? I've got breath in my lungs still. I've got time. You know what? I've still got my own strength. You know what? I've still got my own abilities. There's still time. Verse 7. In that day, man will look to his maker, and his eyes will look to the Holy One of Israel. Verse 8. He will not look to the altars, the work of his hands. He will not look on what his own fingers have made either the ashram or the altars of incense. God takes aim both at Jewish worship and at pagan worship in this one sentence. It says, in that day, everyone will look to God. Everyone will look to his maker. He will not look to what he did with his own hands. There's another image here of judgment just saying, listen, if you think you're gonna stand before Jesus on your own good works, you haven't read this. Verse 9 says this, In that day their strong cities will be like the deserted places of the wooded heights and the hilltops, which they deserted because of the children of Israel, and there will be desolation. That third image is destroyed cities, or the destruction of our human might. Strong cities will be like the deserted places, and there will be desolation. So human might. Got that slide? America is incredibly similar to the nations in Isaiah. We trust implicitly in our national might and our heritage of faith. Neither will stand before the judgment of God. Amen. Being American does not make us favored by God. Only submission to Jesus does that. Amen. I'm going to embarrass my wife, so this means after when we go to lunch, you guys have to guard me. All right, So here's, so yesterday as I woke up, my wife did some incredibly thoughtful things. She gave me some incredibly thoughtful things uh, yesterday. And the most meaningful kind of goes back 30 some years. And she brought me out my dog tags from the army. We sat down and remembered when we were teenagers. When I enlisted and I promised her that after boot camp and AIT, when I got stationed, I would come back and marry her. It took me a long time to fulfill that promise. (laughs) There was some other stuff that happened in the middle, okay? But we sat down yesterday and just looked at three decades of history. As she just reminded me of just my love for this nation, my love for this, this just the, 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 the place we live. This can't save me. Amen. The army couldn't save me when I was a, a screwed up teenager, trust me. That will not stand me before Jesus because I show up wrapped in a flag. It is my faith that I have to account for. Human might. America is incredibly similar, I said, but being, slope to the second half of that, being American does not make us favored by God in that eternal sense. Only submission to Jesus does that. For you have forgotten, verse 10, the God of your salvation, have not remembered the rock of your refuge. We get so easily distracted by other things. Oh, if I just do this, if I just serve in church, or I give more money, or I do this, or I go to church frequently, or they'll be blessed to have me when I show up, right? All these things we miss, but he says, listen, you're forgetting the rock of yourself. You're forgetting the main thing. Church isn't the main thing. This is where we gather together to grow closer to the main thing. We do that in community here. We do that in our community groups throughout the week. We do that in women's ministry and men's ministry. We do it in all kinds of ways, but it's about Jesus, not generations. That we need to remember The rock of our refuge. Verse 10, For you have forgotten the rock of your salvation, have not remembered the rock of your refuge. Therefore, though you plant pleasant plants and sow the vine branch of a stranger, you do good things. Though you make them grow on the day that you plant them and when you blossom in the morning that you sow, yet the harvest will flee away in the day of grief and incurable pain. The next image of judgment is that what you do, your work, is not what will get you in front of Jesus rightly. Put it this way. Next slide. America's, oh, next one. The greatest American gospel failure is to believe that we stand before Jesus based on our good works, by being good people. Paul says this, no one is good, no not one. Recognition of our utter depravity is required when standing before Jesus, or is required in order to come to Jesus rightly. I will tell you this, and I share this a lot, I get, because I'm a pastor, I have the privilege of doing a lot of funerals, a lot of weddings, a lot of baptism, a lot of fun things, but funerals is, is a unique place where we can serve families, right? Families that are grieving. I'll tell you this, you do weddings, almost no one is listening to what I'm saying, <laughs> right? Right? Were you guys paying attention, right? No, so, no, we want a kiss. I got a ring coming, I think at some point, and then it's, it's a part, and then we're going to go on. We're going to go on a honeymoon, and our heads just aren't in it. But when someone dies, in that moment, we're present. We're, there to, we're like, okay, this mortality thing is really present right now. Christian funerals. I will tell you this, almost every single Christian funeral I've done, I've heard Christians Proclaim that they know their loved one is with Jesus because he's a good person Listen your next funeral Go listen the next time It breaks my heart To hear that the American Gospels become We're good people The Bible's incredibly clear that we're not Right? For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Right? No one. Romans 3, no one is good. No, not one. No, not one. So that means not me, not you, right? We're not good people. We're sinful, broken, depraved people that need Jesus. And and so then go and think we're going to stand before the creator of the universe who stooped down and put on flesh for me. And then gave his life on a cross, took my penalty, and then went and suffered and died. And I'm going to stand before him and go, check it out, I'm a pretty good dude. <laughs> I pastor a really cool church. We did video announcements. i got to go to heaven, right? <laughs> How arrogant are we? Verse 12. All the thunder of many peoples, they thunder like the thundering of the sea. Oh, the roar of nations, they roar like the roaring of mighty waters. Right we live in a beach community, you know the sound of the ocean. That's one of the places where I see God the greatest. I just think of how big that ocean is, how many times it's thrown me around, and God's bigger than that. That's his point here. You think you're so big, I'm bigger. The nations roar like the roaring of many waters, but he will rebuke them. They will flee far away, chased like chaff on the mountains before the wind and a whirling dust before the storm. All your strength and collective might. I'm going to blow it away like dust. Like, there it goes. We need a realistic view of who we are when we stand before our creator. Verse 14. At evening time, behold, terror. Before morning, there are no more. This is the portion of those who loot us and those who plunder us. The fifth image is sunset, human time. We all believe the sun came up today. It will go down tonight. We live on the West Coast. We get to watch it set over the ocean. There's nothing greater than a sunset over the ocean, right? The reason it's great is because we think it's coming up tomorrow. There will be a day, God says, it won't. We all seem to believe there's plenty of time to get right with Jesus. Just like the sun sets and rises every day, it'll do so tomorrow, or so we believe. God says clearly that a day will come when the sun will set for the last time. Repentance and faith must be today. So let me say this. Let me pause. That means if you've been walking with Jesus for 80 plus years, repentance is today. If you're brand new to this thing called Jesus, repentance is today. We turn from our sin today. We turn from anything unpleasing to God today. And if you're here and you're not a follower of Jesus... Repentance simply means don't wait. Repentance is today. Turn from anything, anything unpleasing God, and turn to Jesus. Knowing, believing, we may not get another day. And, and I'm not here to scare you. I'm not here, oh, what if you get hit by a car? And wait? It's not that. It's just we view this wrongly. When we sit and say I've got plenty of time to get my stuff together, to fix this thing that I've been keeping, this little stuff I hide back here, like all this other stuff I follow Jesus, but there's this other thing. This is my idol. This is my, my workplace or my identity, my family, my wealth, whatever. That's holding us back from Jesus. Isaiah 18, verse 1. Land of whirling wings is beyond the rivers of Cush, which sends its ambassadors to the sea and vessels of papyrus and waters. Go, you swift messengers, to a nation tall and smooth. Now, let me pause here for a second. They're taking, God is taking his promise of, I'll take the gospel from you, and I'll give it to another people. And he actually sends this message to a people in Ethiopia. There's a great fulfillment of this in Acts chapter 8 where we actually see an Ethiopian traveling along and a Christian meets this Ethiopian on the road and guess, just just because I know this is an easy layup, guess what the Ethiopian's reading. 52 and 53, it's preaching Jesus, the most clear gospel proclamation in the Old Testament and the Ethiopian asks Philip, the Christian, he says, tell me, is the prophet talking about himself or someone else? And you got to know Philip, he just jumps in the carriage, he's like, so, let me tell you a story, right? Like, that's the, I want one day someone who wants to come to Jesus, go, hey, so I'm reading Isaiah, who's he talking about? Like, Jesus, I got this one, right? Like, this is easy. (laughs) And Philip preaches the gospel, and somehow, some way in the midst of a desert, they find enough water to baptize that Ethiopian. And this verse is fulfilled. Matthew 9 says this. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. We need to be those laborers. The harvest is there. We need to be those people that are sent. It says this. Go back to verse 1. Oh, land of whirling wings is beyond the rivers of Cush. Verse 2, which sends ambassadors by the sea and vessels of papyrus on the waters. Go, you swift messengers. So us, go to a nation. And for us, just unpack that from Ethiopia and just Go. Like Jesus finishes his ministry in the Gospel of Matthew and says, listen, go and make disciples. Go and tell people about Jesus. Baptize them. Teach them how to be obedient followers of Jesus. Like this is to us. Go be that messenger to a people feared near and far, a nation mighty and conquering, whose land the rivers divide. Verse 3. All you inhabitants of the world, you who dwell on the earth, when a signal is raised on the mountains, look. When a trumpet is blown, here, again, Isaiah comes back to that. Listen, there will be a day. There will be a final day. There will be a day when God, patient, merciful, and kind, will say, I'm done. Not I'm done out of frustration, but I have, I have grabbed my last one. And now's the time. Verse four, thus says the Lord to me, I will quietly look for my dwelling Like clear heat and sunshine, like a cloud of dew in the heat of the harvest. I want you to hear this tranquil statement by God. I will quietly look for my dwelling like a clear heat and sunshine, like a cloud of dew in the heat of harvest. Does God have every right to judge every person on earth? Does he owe us anything? But in grace and love and mercy... He has poured out his love to us in Christ. I forgot to start my timer, so I'm just going to park right there. I just want to ask you this. Same place we started. If we believe, if we truly believe what this says, if we believe what the Bible from cover to cover says, if we believe that we will all stand before Jesus one day, how, how do we want to do so? Do we want to do so thinking, you know what? There's always more time. Or well, you know what? I've been pretty good at what I did. Or well, you know what? I'm an American. You know what? I was good enough to save myself. How will we stand before Jesus? Will we stand covered in his grace? Or we will stand there in our own arrogance and pride? Let's pray. Jesus, we love you. I thank you for your words so many years ago. I thank you for the gospel proclamation of Isaiah that has survived three millennia and is so relevant today, here, right here, right now, that it could be written to us. That it could have said America, not Israel, not Damascus, not Syria, not Babylon. It could have said right here, 21st century, Southern California. Your word is timeless, Jesus, because you are truth. I pray that every one of us here, that we reflect on the fact that it's you that gives us the confidence to stand before you in peace. Jesus, help us to live that out. Jesus, help us to glorify you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.